National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. As we look at 2021 in the rearview mirror, one image continues to stand out, the powerful perseverance of the pro-life movement. With the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban before the Supreme Court and the Texas heartbeat law facing opposition from the federal government, we saw what the pro-life movement is made of. And the story isn't over. In 2022, it will continue. We will see a shift in the abortion policy landscape back to the states. Registered National Correspondent Loretta Brown joins us with a perspective on where we've been and where we're going. Then we have an editor's corner reflecting on international and other national highlights of 2021 as we continue our year in review coverage. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined here on Register Radio by my co-host, EWTN News Executive Editor Matthew Bunsen, based in our Washington, D.C. Bureau. Loretta Brown is also based in our Washington, D.C. Bureau. She's our national correspondent. Loretta, so much of what you cover relates to public policy on issues, social issues like abortion, transgenderism, religious liberty. And man, this year has kept you very busy with a new uh, president and a, a new administration, right? Right. Right. It's been a busy year. <laughs> it's been a very busy year. And uh, there's a lot to review. But as I said in the intro, uh, one thing that just has, has struck us at the register is the powerful perseverance of the pro-life movement. And on the page one of our, our year in review issue, which is the January 2nd uh, print edition, uh, we titled the whole, the whole print edition with that title, Powerful Perseverance. And among uh, those kind of heroes of this year, we listed um, several who work in the pro-life movement. Uh, I find uh, this is is not going to be over in this, uh, you know, as we say goodbye to 2021, we're going to have a lot in the new year uh, to talk about um, uh, of the valiance of the pro-life movement. Um, but for last year, what would you say are the highlights of the pro-life movement? Um, so two really standout mo- moments were the, the heartbreak law in Texas that was enacted where they, they, it was enforced by lawsuits from private citizens. And that was just legally a very smart move because it was able to take effect. It was not able to be challenged through the typical avenues. And it changed so much. I mean, the, the abortions in the state dropped by 50%. Um, in the month that followed the law being enacted. And yes, the law is tied up in legal battles. We don't know, you know, the future of the law, but but what that showed was the pro-life movement was being very ingenious and thoughtful about, okay, how do we make an actual effect on the abortions in the state? And how do we, um, you know, really think about new ways that mm-hmm. we can combat abortion on the state level? So I think that was just a really inspiring moment for people to see that. Um, and then, Another highlight, of course, was the Dobbs versus Jackson health case out of Mississippi on um, the law, you know, protecting abortion right. after 15 weeks. And what, of course, is huge there is that the Supreme Court not only has, has taken that up and is seriously considering that, but what it means is that it could open the doors to letting the states actually actually enact pro-life laws, you know, because right. up to this point, lawsuits... Uh, um, Blocking, you know, enforcement of these pro-life laws typically succeed um, for a lot of these pre-viability abortion limits. And 
this is really giving everyone a lot of hope that essentially Roe versus Wade would be overturned because because it would mean that states could, in fact, limit abortion pre-viability. Right. You know, we're shifting some of our coverage. I mean, you've been a part of our discussions as uh, as a news team on on what we need to focus on in this coming year in terms of the state initiatives. There are many um, that we could list, and, and maybe in a few minutes we could talk about some that you know of. Um, but I think we can all agree that it's it's the ingenuity of people who were working on the state level uh, that we are where we are today, where we're literally talking about a post-row landscape, uh, depending on um, how the Supreme Court decides in July on the Dobbs case. I mean, it's been a very long time since we've actually had the opportunity to talk about um, post-row, you know. And there's all indications that uh, whether it's a complete re- repeal of row and it's it's gone, or whether it's just going to... to uh, drastically change what's allowable in the states one way or the other something good is going to happen you know i think everybody that you've talked to and everybody that i've talked to is is saying as much so uh so loretta it's it's been a very exciting year of um of coverage in in the uh, pro-life arena uh what are some of the other issues that um that you've covered that uh really we we can't look back at the year without mentioning yeah, I think there were a lot of significant moments. Um, I think watching the Biden administration's actions closely was a big deal for me this year. Um, um, you know, most recently, the FDA decided to remove restrictions from the abortion pill. Um, so that means that in a lot of places now, women can can go ahead and order the abortion pill by mail, have, you know, very few safeguards or restrictions. There was one reporter, New York Times reporter doing a story who he's a man and he was able to go ahead and and get these abortion pills by mail from a lot of these websites just because, you know, the regulation on this is not good. Um, And so with this action from the FDA, that means that, you know, at-home abortions will increase. They already have been increasing because they had temporarily lifted those restrictions in light of the COVID pandemic. And there's just a lot of concern also about when this happened in the emergency room visits increased so much because one thing about abortion through a pill like this is there there are a lot of very serious complications um, involving, you know, serious bleeding and pain and, and even death um, for women. There have been 26 deaths that have been, you know, noted and reported since some of the restrictions on, on this pill have been lifted um, from the FDA. And so, well, you know, uh, years back when they had been lifted, not not most recently, but still, you know, monitoring um, some of the consequences of this pill. Pro-lifers are really trying to raise the alarm mm-hmm. of this is, you know, expanding a, a not very safe avenue of accessing abortion. Right, which we should which we should remind people it was um, lifted. The in person in person prescription was lifted because of the pandemic. It was supposed to be so, sort of an emergency use, and of course they've used um, that uh, that time to to just go ahead and and blanket lift it uh, altogether. So yes, we can see um, that there are is some aggressive action here, right, by um, those right. who uh, push abortion rights, who are clinging to abortion rights. Um, uh, really trying to 
um, make sure that they don't lose ground, which they are losing. I mean, that's what we, we talk about when we talk about Texas and we talk about um, Mississippi. Uh, you know, they they tried the I would they meaning Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby and, and um, pro-abortion Democrats. You know, they tried scare tactics in Virginia um, in the election there this this past November and they failed. Um, do you think they're learning their lesson or, or what, what do we expect this year as we look ahead to midterms? You know, it's interesting. I saw a lot of rhetoric, um, following the oral arguments in the Dobbs case from abortion groups saying this is the end of Roe, just really, um, really intense. Um, and, and, you know, the messaging along with that was women need this. There's going to be, oh, women will die. Um, you know, just, a lot of really intense things. And I actually, I think that will continue. I think, I'm not sure that they learned their, Mm -hmm. their lesson there in Virginia, you know, and I think those watching saw that because, um, you know, we in Virginia saw these ads, uh, about protecting abortion and how important abortion is. And ultimately as, you know, the exit polling showed and the way it turned out, um, it, it was, became clear that abortion was not a top priority, um, in that election. And, I, what I'm seeing was, you know, in some of the commentary following, they didn't really seem seem to get that. And I think abortion is just so important, obviously, to these, you know, these abortion groups, Planned Parenthood, NARAL. But, you know, also these politicians, they often just stick to these slogans and ideas about abortion, um, you know, that, that the abortion lobby gives them. And then they, they don't maybe look into as much of the fact that in a lot of these states, that's not that's not what people care about and are looking at. And, and often it's the opposite. Often a lot of people in states are, are more pro-life and are very turned mm-hmm. off by that, about that rhetoric of, you know, this is the end of the row and women need abortion, because I think it, it, it's clear to a lot of people that that's not the case. Yeah, uh, it, on a slightly happier note, what are some of the favorite stories that you covered this year? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, I, I had some really fun stories this year. It's funny. Actually, I think the year, the very first uh, story I did this past year was about young pro-lifers on TikTok. And that was, I mean, that was so fun for me because it was really beautiful. There were these young people um, making these videos where they were actually doing really incredible in-depth explanations about pro-life issues, really evangelizing, I would say, um, on these issues. There was a young mom who talked about keeping her baby and the blessings that brought and just the beautiful story of that. There were just so many stories about um, just answering myths that the abortion lobby puts out. These these teens and young moms and college kids just really evangelizing um, on this issue. And they were doing it with upbeat songs and funny videos and it was just so creative and so encouraging to see this age group really mm-hmm. taking on the pro-life message and making it their own with these videos so I had so much fun doing that story right off the bat um, and then yeah later on in the year there were just some other really fun stories um, homeschooling becoming that such, was so my popular. favorite yeah and, yeah <laughs> that was such a fun story to do because these div- diverse families were were homeschooling and they were embracing like Latina heritage and there's like an African American homeschool group that had all these unique resources, just stuff I wouldn't have even 
like, I just learned so much. It was so wonderful. Um, so yeah, those were just fun. <laughs> yes. And I think that's very important, you know, for someone uh, like you, our national correspondent who has to cover uh, the political issues, the public policy issues. And right now there are many that are just um, very troubling. Uh, that's, that's tough work. Uh, thank you for doing that tough work of, of covering those um, very important issues. But we love it when you get the opportunity to do these stories that highlight good news. And, and actually, as you said, show people who are our next generation of pro-lifers, our next generation of uh, Catholic thinkers who are right now just in homeschool classrooms, right? Um, so thanks a bunch, Loretta, for the stories that you cover. We look forward to the coverage of the legislative and political issues of this upcoming year. There are some great initiatives on the state level. There's lots of news stories coming out at ncregister.com about uh, state-level initiatives um, protecting life. So stay tuned to ncregister.com, but also stay tuned here to Register Radio. When we come back, Matthew Bunsen and I, Jeanette Miller, your host here on Register Radio on EWTN Radio, will continue our year in review. Stay tuned. Pursue what matters most in 2022. Life, liberty, truth. From the Capitol to the classroom, from the pulpit to the pew, EWTN's National Catholic Register delivers in-depth news, analysis, and commentary through the lens of the Catholic faith. With so much at stake in our country, there's never been a more important time to read the register. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code RADIO. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Check out EWTN's official YouTube channel. Just follow the link on our homepage at EWTN.com or go to YouTube.com slash EWTN. Watch EWTN's live shows or today's homily from the Daily Mass. Click the upload button to see our most recent clips. You can also find all of EWTN YouTube content by clicking the playlist button. It's all on the official EWTN YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash EWTN. Visit today. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Executive Editor based in our Washington, D.C. Bureau. Uh, Matthew and I are continuing our year in review coverage for the Register every year in the print edition, uh, usually the first one of the year. We look back at the year and we do a look back at the nation. We look, do a look back at the world. Uh, we do uh, obits, um, all of those uh, notable departures of the prior year. Uh, and we're continuing that review um, in the little editor's corner here. So Matthew, it's good to to talk to you and to remember the highlights or the lowlights of the year. <laughs> we had a lot of both, didn't we? <laughs> we did. I think we really did. And, uh, you know, this week, I think uh, we remembered a real low point, uh, and that was the January 6th 
uh, event uh, events of of 2021 um, there in Washington D.C. It was it was really surreal and shocking to watch the events unfold that day in Washington. Uh, as uh, a Trump rally ended up with men and women storming the Capitol in protest over the 2020 election, um, don't know how anyone thought that could uh, could end any end up good <laughs> or end end well. <laughs> um, it, it really was a disastrous uh, day, um, and really the handling of that event got criticism from all sides. Um, so, you know, you were in D.C. this week. Uh, there were uh, events or uh, remembering uh, uh, this day. Uh, what? How was it remembered? Well, it's been uh, largely a political uh, theater, and I mean that mm. in the mm-hmm. very traditional sense of the word. In that uh, we've seen the the Biden administration really trying to, and the Democrats on Capitol Hill really trying to use this for political advantage, which one would assume they would do. Uh, we've seen the January 6th commission uh, handing out uh, a number of subpoenas and wanting to talk to a lot of people, especially people in the media. Uh, we had just to, uh, on uh, Wednesday, we had an update from Merrick Garland, uh, the attorney general, leading to a lot of the arrests and indictments. Uh, so this is an issue that uh, certainly isn't going away, especially as we hit this one-year anniversary. Right, right. And as I said, you know, we, we kind of, as media, and, and you know, we're Catholic media, uh, we, don't, um, we, we don't have a huge staff. We, we didn't have, the registry didn't have people on the ground, you know, trying to cover this event or anything. So we're watching it like anyone else um, from our computers. And, you know, but I just remember going, what can we do? <laughs> you know, what can we say? <laughs> How can we cover this event? It was, it was really challenging and, and really... I think the most important thing we could have done at that moment was urge a call to prayer for our nation. And that's what uh, Michael Warsaw did. Uh, Of course, he heads uh, the register, he heads EWTN, and and his publisher's note published shortly after January uh, 6th, I think it was January 8th, he he asked our readers to pray for our government. It was the title of that commentary or his column is A Prayer for Our Government. And I really will repost, we, we, we reposted it this week because it, it's so important. And he wrote about a prayer written by John Carroll, America's first bishop. Uh, and it was a prayer that he wrote that was to be cited, recited in parishes throughout uh, the young nation. Uh, right. And I think, you know, it was so fitting to call, um, uh, call for prayer at that time and, and, uh, and now, too, <laughs> you know, because the polarization continues. Um, Biden well, that's promised, right. And, and the, the, yeah. the storming of the Capitol, um, however one wants, whatever verb or adjective you want to use uh, for the events of January 6th, this was, I think, very much a political and sociopolitical and cultural low point. Um, yeah but very symptomatic of the levels of division that we have. And I think uh, the sense of urgency that accompanies it then uh, in reciting that prayer for our country. And and John Carroll knew a lot. And one of them was how fragile republics and democracy can be. And I think um, we're living in an age in which uh, there are genuine concerns about stability and other things, and all the more reason why we need to have prayer, but also we need to have the influence of Catholic teaching in public life. 
Yeah, you know, you speak of the st- stability of a republic and, you know, the unique things of of our republic are, is the balance of the branches of government. And, you know, this year we've just seen, um, you know, in every branch uh, challenge, right? And um, in just that first day of, of President Biden's time in office, his inauguration was a, a speech promising unity, um, but immediately after in executive orders, um, it, you know, this executive branch acting out in, in policies that had nothing, had, n- could never be called unifying policies, you know, <laughs> uh, on abortion and, and transgender and LGBT issues. And, and even his policies on COVID have, seem to have left the country just as polarized. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and then a lot of uh, what many uh, analysts would consider to be some very significant foreign policy missteps, uh, including, of course, uh, the evacuation, the departure from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from the Catholic journalist standpoint, uh, the unique challenges of a Biden administration, the second Catholic president, uh, who, as you just noted, uh, it's a it's a long list beyond even the preeminent issue of our time of abortion of things of policies that he has been executing that really pose challenges uh, in his standing uh, from the position of Catholic teaching, and this has been a recurring theme as we knew it would be heading into uh, his inauguration and beyond. And, and this first year of the Biden administration has certainly demonstrated uh, the many challenges that we face as, as a church in the United States uh, in confronting the reality of these policies. Absolutely. You know, okay, so we are coming off of a Christmas break where it seems like the Omicron uh, version of the virus has just been everywhere. I mean, we've seen it in, in our own close communities, you know, uh, whether it's amongst coworkers or family in my, in my case. Um, it's, it's been tough. Um, of course, we can't look back at last year without talking about the effects, the continued effects of COVID-19. And, and really, there's a pending mandate, a federal mandate that could affect uh, many, many people because the federal government's trying to mandate private businesses of 100 or more employees um, to make sure that their workers are fully vaccinated and, and that, or their tests for, for COVID on a weekly basis. And uh, this has been like ping pong. I've had a very, very hard time following this, um, this requirement. Um, it, it, it was, you know, blocked and then it was, uh, not, and, and I'm not really sure where it ends up now. Maybe you have some insights to that. Well, I think uh, that the question of where it is at any given moment depends literally on the day and yeah. the court, uh, that's examining the question. What is compelling, I think, in this is the, that the many different constitutional and religious liberty questions uh, that the vaccine mandates have raised, but that we have really seen throughout the whole of the pandemic. Uh, the, the question of what is the role of uh, religion, of the churches uh, in the common good and public mm-hmm. welfare, and what is essential, what is not essential, and how far we can go uh, in our understanding of public good, common good, public welfare, uh, in placing restrictions on people. So this has raised a a host of really serious constitutional questions at a time when there are questions being raised in every direction uh, about the Constitution and even our own identity as a country. Regardless of where one stands on the vaccine mandate question, uh, these are important questions that ultimately we know are going to end up in the Supreme Court. 
Right. And, and they're really, they're, there's so much questions about freedom, you know, first freedoms right. um, of, of many kind. And in some way, um, I, because we cover the international scope and we see what's happening in other countries in regard to vaccine mandates and passes, and, and it's much harder um, for the church in those places. It's much harder for many Catholics. It's harder for our colleagues that, that work with us for, at EWTN in, in different countries um, to uh, try to abide by the policies of those countries. Uh, you know, in many respects, I, I am very grateful um, for the United States in that we have recourse um, when our freedoms are being challenged, um, much more than many other people in, in other countries. Um, speaking, though, again, still of COVID, um, one of the, the columns that was written this year, um, just at the end of the year, by Father uh, Raymond D'Souza, uh, some people will like this column, some people won't like it because um, it, it's a bit controversial. He says, 2022's continuing COVID conversation, and he says that pastors are a little disappointed in their flock this year um, in, at the end of 2021 because so few people have returned to, back to, to church. Um, you, you know, there's roughly uh, 30% to 50% lower attendance uh, in church attendance uh, since the pandemic. Now, you know, you can place blame on the church itself for shutting down, um, but the fact of the matter is, are we going to come back? You know, Catholics, are we going to come back to church? And that's what Father Raymond was trying to say. Uh, I think we all have a place in this, uh, Matthew, to to really urge our fellow Catholics back. That's right. Uh, but it's difficult to urge our fellow Catholics back when we continue to live under the shadow of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And part of it is when you look at the major cities, I, I live, as you know, in Washington, D.C. I've recently been in New York. There is nothing normal about Mm -hmm. uh, the current Mm -hmm. situation in those cities. And this is playing out now across cities in America, both large and small, uh, in which the workplace is a drastically different place, uh, in which people are not going back to the workplace Mm -hmm. in in any sense that they used to. So it's not surprising in a way that uh, mass attendance at church attendance has not really risen to the levels that we expect because nothing has returned to a sense of normalcy. So it's difficult. I I agree with Father Raymond that we need to be encouraging everyone to get back to Mass. Uh, But at the same time, we have to be very aware of the the wider cultural events that we're witnessing. And we don't know where these are all going to end. I appreciate that perspective because I'm in a a smaller community. It's not as restrictive. And and so we have ample opportunity uh, to return to Mass and encourage (laughs) others to do so. So very different parts of the country. And and I can appreciate that perspective. I'm sure our listeners do too. Matthew, it's always so much fun uh, to do an Editor's Corner. We've got to get back to doing these more often. Uh, Thanks for reviewing the year with me. Yeah, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year again to you. And to our listeners, remember there is more news, analysis, and commentary at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. Uh, From all of us again at the National Catholic Register, I'm wishing you uh, a happy new year. And please, may God bless you until next week. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.